Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Snapshots Live, San Francisco Public Works monthly webinar series. I'm Carla Short, Superintendent of the Bureau of Urban Forestry. This month, we're celebrating Earth Day. We have an exciting group of panelists who will tell us about their work building and maintaining San Francisco's urban forest. As many of you know, I'm sure, San Francisco did not have many existing trees when it was settled. After the last ice age, the sea level dropped and the wind blew sand all over the city, creating the sanding soils we now have. Pre-development San Francisco was primarily scrub with a handful of oak trees sprinkled in. Since then, we have built a city and slowly added trees as well. After the 1906 earthquake, palm trees were planted along Dolores Street medians as a symbol that San Francisco would recover. And now we have about 125,000 street trees. Today we'll hear from Senior Integrated Pest Management Specialist Nikki Mixon, Friends of the Urban Forest Executive Director Dan Flanagan, Bureau of Urban Forestry Assistant Superintendent Nick Crawford, and Bureau of Urban Forestry Contracts and Grants Manager John Sway. Please feel free to enter your questions in the chat as they occur to you. We will save time at the end for Q&A. So now to start things off, we'll hear from Nikki Mixon. Take it away, Nikki. Thank you, Carla. So today I'm here to talk about some of the many uh, benefits of trees. Um, the first, the first uh, benefit that I'm gonna discuss is air quality. Trees don't just produce oxygen, they literally clean the air, trapping and removing fine particulate matter on the surface of their leaves. This is especially important as we see the increase of poor air quality due to fires. Carbon sequestration, that is removing CO2 from the air and storing it in the woody tissue of the trees. There are different types of trees that store carbon differently and um, it's, it's great that that happens in the environment. Um, enhancing biodiversity. Some of this stuff is known uh, as, you know, habitat for birds and, and also creating um, pollen for some insects, but also this happens below the surface in the roots of the trees as well. As the, as the roots of the trees decompose, um, some of the insects that are below ground actually eat those, um, eat those decomposing roots, which actually improves the soil profile. Stormwater retention. Uh, storm, uh, trees actually um, slow down the rate of stormwater, which can, over, which, can, which can be overbearing to some of, to, to, to our sewer systems. Trees help reduce runoff in several different ways. One way is they actually absorb, they actually absorb the rainwater through the leaves and through the trunks of the trucks, through the trunks of the trees. And also some trees can actually absorb up to a hundred gallons depending on the size of the tree. Enhancing public health. We all know about the physical part of uh, enhancing health, but one of the things that trees also do is helps people out mentally as well. With that being said, there is a, there is a practice from Japan that's called forest bathing. And what that does is it actually produces a calm when people are in these environments. And now we have doctors that are actually prescribing this method to patients to reduce stress, which helps people out psychologically. Not another benefit is bolstering the local economy. 
it's it's been studies shown that people actually shop longer and spend more time in commercial areas where trees are um, on the streets and sidewalks, which in turn means that people spend more money. Uh, raising property value. This has also been a is, has also been a study as well showing that property value increases by 15% when there's a tree in front of the property. But also one of the long-term cost benefits is that uh, is that uh, people spend less money um, on air conditioning due to the shade of the tree, which helps people out in the long-term. The heat island effect. Some of you may or may know this, but having trees in open spaces and in urban areas actually cools the earth and, 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 and also the pavement and also uh, the pavement actually uh, holds the heat which makes it hotter in some of these areas. So trees help us out in that way as well. Better pedestrian experience. I know for a fact my family likes walking on the shady side of the street. And usually what that means is that the street, the side of the street is shady due to the trees. So that helps us out in that way. And also having street trees reduce the cracks in sidewalks and extends the life of the pavement as well. Traffic calming. It's been studies shown that when tree when streets when trees have when streets have trees lined on them and other vertical objects, traffics do also slow down. And that means that there's been studies shown that people slow down up to I, uh, what I read it was um, three miles per hour. They go three miles per hour slower, which is great. So that's less accidents in urban areas where we have trees. And trees also improve educational outcomes for children as well. When children have access to trees, their focus and their concentration is better in areas without than in areas without trees. This is a quote from me. Trees can't speak for themselves, but they benefit us. So it's important that we speak and advocate on their behalf. The best way to make sure that we continue to get these benefits is by expanding our urban forests. To talk more about how we're gonna do this is Friends of the Urban Forestries, Urban Forest's Executive Director, Dan Flannon. Please take it away, Dan, thank you. Hey, Nick, thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for a great um, explanation about how important trees are. My job is to talk about a little bit about the history of Friends of Urban Forest and our partnership with um, the Bureau of Urban Forestry. 40 years ago, actually this year, the city of San Francisco cut its budget for the planting of tree, uh, street trees due to budget constraints. Does that sound familiar to anyone here? Five folks came together to start a nonprofit to ensure that the city's already meager urban tree canopy would continue to grow. Friends of the Urban Forest was born. One of the five people were Brian Fewer, the father-in-law of the former District 1 supervisor, Sandra Lee Fewer. Brian deeply loved trees and worked uh, at Public Works for most of his career. I believe that started the deep and valuable partnership between Public Works and FUF. We developed a community planting model, meaning we brought together homeowners and volunteers on a day, one day, usually a Saturday, to transform a neighborhood with new street trees. In many cases, it was a chance for neighbors to meet each other for the first time. 
Uh, we planted almost 60,000 trees this way. We then would do structural pruning and replace the tree's support hardware as needed for three years after it was planted. We're currently doing that for about 3,400 trees a year. 25 years ago, your own Chris Buck helped to start a program that we now call Green Teens. Green Teens is a job preparedness program for boys and girls between the ages of 14 and 18. They're paid minimum wage and we train them in all aspects of arboriculture with a strong emphasis on tree pruning. Each year we have between 50 and 60 participants and in a good year they handled close to 25% of all of our pruning. About seven years ago, we started something called our Green Crew, which is now, which is a workforce development program that now employs five young men and women ages 19 to 25 years old. From that program, we've now hired four graduates that are now full-time employees of Friends of the Urban Forest. About 12 years ago, we launched the Sidewalk Garden Program to create what I call the understory of our urban, uh, our urban canopy. We have now replaced more than 100,000 square feet of concrete with beautiful gardens to help capture storm water, relieve our aging stormwater system, and recharge our aquifers. In July 2017, San Francisco's urban forest had a seismic change when Prop E, um, the Healthy Trees and Safe Sidewalks measure, took effect. FOF had run the campaign for Prop E in 2016 and was wildly successful in getting 78.6% of the vote. Prop E ended the disastrous policy of requiring homeowners to maintain their adjacent street tree, and it created a dedicated funding source in perpetuity to enable the city to care for all street trees with enough money built in it to, to, care, to take care of an additional 30,000 trees we intend to plant. This program, known as Street Tree SF, is unique in the United States and possibly in the world. For FUF, it totally changed our revenue model. Before Street Tree SF, FUF charged the adjacent homeowner a copay when we planted a street tree. Now that the city owns all the street trees, we could no longer charge the homeowners. Classic good news, bad news. Good news was that Buff and FUF could now partner in addressing the systemic inequality of our street tree distribution. Carla Short wanted FUF to concentrate primarily on planting in um, underserved communities with very low tree canopy. Bad news was that FUF became heavily dependent upon the city funding to support our street tree program and care that we provide for each tree after, uh, for the three years after it's planted until it's established and then becomes part of the street tree SF program. Luckily, we've been able to secure three separate grants from CAL FIRE, state organization, um, to help us plant in underserved, uh, underserved communities. In July 2017, we started to focus on planting in the southeast and the western part of the city. Now was our chance to address the lack of trees in those communities. But we were not welcomed with open arms. The resistance to having trees was immense. 60% of the folks we reached out to did not want new trees adjacent to their homes. They did not trust the city to take care of them after they were planted. And in many cases, they thought the trees were just yet another example of gentrification of their neighborhood. That was a wake up call for Friends of the River Forest. We were already hiring and training youth from those neighborhoods in our workforce development program and in green teens. We needed to do more. We needed to change how we conducted our community outreach. So we've been building our relationships with community partners 
and involving them more extensively in our plans to do work that affect their neighborhoods. neighborhoods. This is an ongoing process. Years ago, we created a strategic plan in which we committed to diversify our staff. I'm proud to say that our full-time staff is currently at 50% of color. And if you include our part-time staff, it's 60%. Our board chair is a woman of color. Our efforts to reflect the diversity of this city will serve as an ongoing process. The next milestone in Thoth history that I'll share with you today is March 5th, 2020. That afternoon, Carla Short, currently dressed as a tree, called me to say that Public Works would be canceling the Arbor Day planting the next day, but that Fuff could probably go forward with their planting. By evening, though, we decided to cancel our planting as well. Within a week or so, we were all sheltered in place. We spent that whole week figuring out how to shut down the office and shift to working remotely. We also came up with a plan to continue to plant trees only with staff, no longer with volunteers, but we couldn't plan until the city said it was okay. We were finally able to proceed with um, staff only tree planting on July 1st. At the same time, we began a program of watering trees that we planted for the first time in our history. We hope to continue that watering program um, and we hope to plant up, uh, water up to 500 trees this year. We look, we're looking at expanding this um, program in the future. And just last Saturday, our most highly trained volunteers joined us for the first time in more than a year to plant trees in small groups. It was a great success and we'll continue this new model of limited volunteer participation until we can return to our traditional model of community-based plantings every other week. So in summary, we were started by an employee of Public Works. For the past 40 years, we've deepened our partnership with the Bureau of Urban Forestry. Our goal is to work alongside of Buff, raising awareness of the importance of trees, advocating for trees in City Hall, building our audience, including our 23,000 person email list, and in order to share the, in order to share the vital, vitally important message of the importance of trees as a climate change solution. So as the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. So we are committed at Friends of the Urban Forest to working alongside our public works partners to plant those trees today for the future of health of our city. Thank you very much. So I'm gonna turn it over to Nick Crawford. Hey, thanks Dan. I didn't expect to see myself on that last slide, but I remember that planting day. Uh, I am the assistant superintendent with the Bureau of Urban Forestry and I take care of the trees and landscapes that are in the public right of way. And our, our role is uh, specifically for trees and for landscapes, we, we see how those things go together really well. So it's our landscape team that's planting and watering trees and our, our arborists that are caring for them over their lifespan and our inspection team that is out looking for tree issues and responding to inquiries. They're also looking for places where we can plant trees. It's a really good integrated team and I'm happy to be a part of it. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what we do uh, specifically for watering. It's a crucial part of our work because if we didn't do it, these trees would not get going. So to give you um, 
a, a day in the life to talk through uh, what we do. In the morning at 5 a.m., we've got our watering crew coming in, sometimes earlier. And you can see this is Omari. He's um, going to start his day with uh, stocking his truck with watering bags, replacement watering bags, and tree ties that he'll use to restake things. And he'll head straight to the fire hydrant, fill up his truck with 150, 200 gallons, depending on the size of the tank. And then he'll go from tree to tree, putting in about 25 gallons, 20 gallons in the um, bag and five gallons in the basin. And the idea is for this, this watering bag that's got some holes at the bottom uh, to slowly let that water sink into the soil. It's better that way because uh, if he were to stand there and slowly water it in, it would take forever. And it also lets that um, soil percolate when it's probably heavily compacted with a lot of traffic. So one of our most common uh, inquiries is uh, when folks call up and say, hey, something's wrong with the watering bag. It's leaking out through the bottom. I need a new one. And it's a very common question because uh, it, you might not expect how it works. The other thing is uh, folks will say that, you know, there's a big hole in the middle of it, but it's designed to go around the, the tree stakes. So in the course of a day, Juan and Omari and other folks on our team are reaching about 70 trees per day. It's pretty time consuming because they have to keep re refilling, but it's incredible how much they get done in a week. Uh, if, if they're putting down um, that much water for all of the trees that we water, it totals three to four million gallons a year that we're um, applying. So you might ask, where's this water come from? From the hydrant, it's a potable water source, but we also have uh, water that, that we are filling up from the Moscone Center, which is reclaimed water that comes from the basement. And we have another site that's coming online uh, at UN Plaza that also uses reclaimed water. And I would love to do more of that. I think that that's a really great opportunity to um, use other water sources. So how much does this cost? Uh, each visit doesn't cost that much. It's about $10 per, per visit per week, but it really adds up over the, uh, over the, the establishment period of the tree. So if you're doing 52 visits in a year, that's uh, over $500. And for three years, sometimes a little longer, uh, it's, it's $1,500 plus dollars to establish a tree. So there's something that's unique to these California coastal cities and San Francisco and LA. Uh, and cities in between have the same issue, but we just don't get enough rainfall in between uh, the, the rainy periods. So it's usually nine months without rain and it's during the hottest and driest, longest days of the year. And that stresses out the trees a lot. It would be different if we lived in uh, Portland or Seattle where they get rain more days than not, it seems. I don't know if that's accurate, but they get a lot more rain than we do. We also don't have uh, snow melt or things like that, which other cities do throughout the US. And we certainly don't have like summer rainstorms and winter rainstorms. So 
that's one of the uh, the reasons that's unique for us where we really have to water. And it's a responsibility that we take very seriously. If a young tree doesn't get watered for say two weeks in a hot, dry spell, uh, that could fry that that tree. And the investment that we went through to plant it and all of the watering visits that we made up to that um, point would be wasted. So that's something that uh, if, if you are on the watering crew, you need to take time off. We have to pull in somebody else to help uh, cover for that because we can't afford to, to lose trees. If you, it's an older tree, more established tree, we definitely have more time for that. Uh, it could skip a week and, and be fine, or we can scale it back to uh, every other week. But it's those younger trees we really care about. So like Dan introduced, the Street Tree SF program, which was born out of the Prop E initiative, is a real game changer for us. And we're very proud of that. I think that um, this is putting San Francisco on a good path to have our, our trees professionally maintained. And it, it solves some of that like, patchwork of maintenance responsibility, which was a, a real burden for property owners. If you had a small tree, it wasn't as big of a deal, but if you have a, a huge, beautiful, mature tree, it could be $1,000 or $2,000 to do a thorough uh, pruning of it. Or if, it, if the tree were to die, you would have been responsible for removing it. And now that's, that's changed where we're responsible for it. The, uh, the, the big question that we get is, when are you coming to my tree? And we have a map and I'm happy to report that we are working our way through the city. And the uh, probably second most common question is after we prune it, well, why didn't you take off more? And we understand that too. We have, uh, we have a lot more pruning that we would love to do. We'd like to do an even more thorough um, job on every tree, but we've got to get to all of them at least once. And we're calling it our prioritization, the worst first. So we want to take care of the trees that are in the worst shape uh, and then get every, every tree to a baseline before we make a second visit, third visit, and really refine that. So to talk through some of our um, milestones. To date, we have already pruned 40,000 street trees. Uh, and I'm proud of that. We had to, uh, to slow our, our pacing down a little bit last year due to some COVID constraints where we had to pause contractor work and things like that. But our crews kept working uh, through the pandemic and we're, we're scaling back up uh, this year. We removed a number of structurally unsound trees, which for us as tree lovers is a really difficult thing to do. Uh, we would love to save every tree, but uh, we inherited trees with some really poor maintenance over the years. And sometimes through no one's fault in particular, it just uh, it was work that needed to be done and it needed to be removed. And we, we were the ones to do it. Then the other side of it is our sidewalk work, which is, uh, a huge component and another really expensive thing for property owners to do that I'm glad we're able to do um, as part of our program. So we've repaired or replaced over a half million square feet of sidewalks damaged by trees, uh, which is 
it sounds like a massive number and it is a massive number. We've uh, accomplished a lot and we still have so many more sidewalks to get to. But even if we couldn't fix the whole sidewalk, we at least made 40,000 tripping hazards safe uh, with a temporary repair or by uh, slicing or shaving down those uplifted sections. So to give you an idea of how far along we are, the cross-hatched areas show the completed key maps for pruning. Uh, the sidewalk work is a, a more time intensive and uh, it's, a, it's a different map, but it, we're also making progress on that. But this one is specific for our tree pruning. And the, uh, the highlighted or cross-hatched areas, I should say, were areas that we recognized as having uh, a high density of, of trees that really needed our attention. So we're pruning and removing trees there. And in the green highlighted areas, that's where we're currently working with our internal crews or with our, our contract partners. So uh, I hope that gives you um, a good overview. Feel free to put questions in the chat. We'd be happy to answer them at the end. And the uh, I just want to say thanks to to Fuff for planting the trees, giving us the the canopy to work with, and then it's our our job to maintain that. The next person on our panel I'd like to introduce is John Sway, and he uh, I'm really proud to say this actually. He was involved in the drafting of our original urban forest plan, which did a lot to help bring us to where we are today. And he's currently our contracts and grants manager, and he'll be speaking about the future. Thanks, John. Hi, everyone. I'm John Sway with the Bureau of Urban Forestry. So I'm here to talk to you a little bit about what's next, what we see what's coming next for our street trees. And before I do that, I just want to recap and kind of where we're coming from. So back in 2015, we developed the urban forest plan for San Francisco, which set in motion the vision for creating a, a citywide street tree maintenance program. And that was adopted by the Board of Supervisors. And then as Dan mentioned earlier, that led to the ballot measure proposition, Proposition E in 2016, that passed with almost 80% of the vote to create our citywide tree program, street tree program and dedicate $19 million annually to fund it. So now once we have the funding and the authority to create the program in place, our next step was actually to conduct an inventory of every single street tree in San Francisco. So we had arborists conduct a street tree census where they visited every tree um, over about a year and a half and developed maintenance recommendations for every tree that became the basis for our program. So now, as we mentioned, we're moving um, quickly throughout the city to maintain every single street tree and we should be done with our first round of pruning in the next three years by 2025. So now that our maintenance program's in place, the question for us is really to determine what's next. And for us, we see the next frontier as um, street tree planting. And so right now we're developing a plan to fill all 30,000 vacant street tree planting sites in San Francisco. And this is a, a big project and we hope to fill them all. And our three goals of our planting program are identified here. So the first is to preserve and grow urban tree canopy in San Francisco. As you may or may not know, San Francisco has one of the smallest tree canopies of any major US city at 13.7%. This is compared to Portland that has 30% tree cover and Los Angeles that has 21% tree cover. 
You know, our program is also um, building on San Francisco Public Works recent racial equity plan and we hope to use our work to also advance racial and social equity in the city by ensuring that all people in all neighborhoods have access to street trees and the benefits they provide, as well as our program is creating living wage jobs in tree planting and tree watering. And then finally, as Nikki mentioned earlier, trees also protect the climate by storing carbon dioxide and protect against climate change by reducing impacts of extreme heat and poor air quality. And so we're happy to announce, you know, as part of Earth Day this year that we've developed a, a citywide street tree planting strategy. So this strategy identifies a goal for street tree planting in San Francisco. We're trying to reach 155,000 street trees from our current 125,000 street trees. That's gonna require us planting about 80,000 new street trees over the next 20 years. 30,000 of those will be new trees in new sites. And then 50,000 of those will be trees that we need to replace over time due to natural mortality or being removed for maintenance reasons. So this will really require doubling the number of trees we plant every year from about 1,500, 2,000 to 4,000 trees a year. And um, will require millions of dollars in additional funding and you know, some exciting news, we're in some conversations right now with um, the potential to receive federal infrastructure stimulus funds to support our tree planting program. And then next, I just wanna talk about a couple of new initiatives that the Bureau of Urban Forestry is working on. The first is our street tree nursery. So as we mentioned, you know, our goal is, you know, now that we have maintenance underway to really scale up our street tree planting throughout the city. And so we're developing plans for a site for a street tree nursery. And we've identified this site on Fifth Street in South of Market between Bryant and Harrison Street. And I'd say if there's any site that looks like it could really use some trees or greening, it, it may be this one. This is where the Bay Bridge touches down. And this is a large site that we think is desirable for trees because it has access to water, is open to the sky and gets pretty good sunlight all, all day. And um, this is the vision that we could really plant or grow 300 plus street trees at this site and they would contribute to the pollution removal and carbon removal from the surrounding area. It also provide educational opportunities and volunteer opportunities in the neighborhood and throughout the city. And here's a vision for what it could look like on the ground. And I really wanna give credit to the Bureau of Landscape Architecture, spent a lot of time with us working on these and Andrew Sapon who developed these beautiful renderings. The next initiative is our urban wood program. So as Nick mentioned, you know, since the start of our program, we've removed 7,000 trees as part of our maintenance activities. And you know, the problem that we've discovered is most of what happens to these trees is they get chipped or mulched. And when the trees are chipped and mulched, they're prone to decompose faster, which releases the stored carbon back into the atmosphere. So really we wanna capture this wood and secure that carbon longer. So creating useful wood products that are beautiful and useful is our goal. So we could create you know, materials for outdoor classrooms, um, public open spaces and parks, as well as creating lumber and wood that could be used to create benches, tables, or even in city building projects. And then the last initiative is our Bureau of Urban Forestry Field Station. This is our uh, scientific research piece of our program. And right now we have, um, we're engaging three young people in studying our urban forest, particularly looking at California native street tree species. So they're looking at coast live oak trees, Quercus agrifolia. We have about 450 of these trees growing throughout the city and they're visiting each tree to identify what are the factors that contribute to the successful 
growth of these trees in a harsh uh, environment, like our street environment. And this is one beautiful gem of our urban forest. This is a coast live oak tree on 28th and Sanchez streets. And if you're ever in the neighborhood, I recommend checking that out. And then finally, we're really happy to announce today, we're launching our San Francisco street tree map. You're the first to hear about it. So there's a link, um, the address is in the lower right of the screen and we'll post it in the chat. But this, is, this will make all of our street tree data available to everyone through a really easy to use map where you can search by property address or species to find out information on the trees near your home or business and also find out you know, a schedule for pruning of that tree and species and size information. And I wanna uh, give credit to Joy DeFranza from the, our GIS program manager at Public Works who's responsible for creating this map. Also a shout out to Ben Carlson from Friends of the Urban Forest who really motivated us to get this finished. So thank you. And now I'm gonna pass it on to Ben. He's gonna handle the Q&A portion. Thank you, John. And thanks to the rest of our panelists as well for um, giving us that rundown on San Francisco's urban forests as well as our efforts to uh, grow and maintain it. My name is Ben Peterson. I'm on the Public Works Communications team, and I'm going to be facilitating the Q&A portion of today's webinar. Um, if you have a question and you haven't submitted it already, feel free to do so either um, through the chat or the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Um, we're going to try to get through as many as we can in the remaining um, 10 minutes that we have. The first question we got is um, from Vito Venoni, and he is asking, I guess this uh, might be best for Nick or Carla, um, he is asking, how do you choose which species of tree to plant for a specific location? What um, you know, qualities do you take into account? Sure. We always try to plant the largest tree for each location because big trees offer the greatest benefits, uh, but we don't want to put a tree that, that's not going to do well in a particular site. So if, uh, if it's constrained for a number of reasons, like overhead power lines being one of the most common ones, we'll plant a smaller stature tree. And then our city has so many microclimates, it's a real challenge trying to put the right tree that will thrive in that location. But we're learning that and we have a pretty well, well developed plant palette that we pull from. But uh, there, there used to be a philosophy of planting the same street or same species on an entire street. And as soon as you have a problem with that species, then everyone is stuck with it. Uh, so we've learned to, to include a variety of species and that that's part of our philosophy. Great, thank you, Nick. Um, and kind of piggybacking off of that question, um, here's one for you, John, um, about the Coast Live Oak study that um, we started doing a few summers back. Um, what were some of the things that we learned from that initial um, that initial study about the coast live oak, how it um, you know grows in San Francisco, or what what conditions are um, are best for it? Yeah, well, we started off with a smaller sample of coast live oaks, and I think what we we're seeing is you know public works jurisdiction is so big that you know often we think about street trees, but we also maintain other areas like hillsides or um, portions of little open spaces. And it seemed that in general, the trees that could generally grow kind of in a more wider branching, you know, with um, less constrained growing spaces and sidewalks were looking healthier and had bigger canopies. But 
again, like I showed you in that one photo, I think one of the most amazing coast live oaks we saw was actually a street tree. So we're hoping to get a little more answer, some more answers by, you know, through completing our study of all the trees. Thank you, John. Um, this next question is from Chris Bulkley Logston. Um, he's, it's um, a question from the public works uh, construction management kind of perspective. Um, what plans are there to revise the standard specifications and project and or project specifications to require stronger protection of newly planted trees? Uh, the Bureau of Urban Forestry and the city in general have developed robust specifications for the protection of older and established trees from live construction but there's often limited requirement included in uh, project contracts to protect fragile and newly planted trees from non-construction factors. So generally, is there you know, a, a, something that we're doing or planning on doing to um, enhance the protection of newly planted trees on public works uh, projects? I'll, I'll take this one. Um, okay. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, one of the things that we are doing is we're working on developing some um, better specifications that we'd like to add to contracts. Um, within our own practice, we used to um, put protective cages around trees only in a few parts of the city, um, you know, often right outside of bars where people would stumble out and somehow desire to show their, their strength by ripping a branch off of a baby tree. Um, or certain neighborhoods where there was a lot of street behavior. But what we've seen is we're seeing increases in vandalism all over the city. And so our own practice is that now we put protective cages on um, pretty much every tree we plant, unless it's a very quiet neighborhood um, street where there's a lot of people keeping an eye on it. And we're working with Friends of the Urban Forest too, so that the trees that they're planting with us also get these protective cages. And we wanna add that level of protection to our contracts as well. Great, thank you, Carla. Um, our next question is from Monique, um, and she is curious about the cherry trees that were recently vandalized in Japantown. Um, she's wondering if uh, Friends of the Urban Forest or the Bureau of Urban Forestry um, replanted new trees, or is there another agency that was responsible for that? I can take that. So you may have heard that there was a massive community response, and they had a wildly successful GoFundMe, and that, that doesn't happen all the time. I wish that happened every time a tree was vandalized, but it really opened the doors uh, for us to go out there. We removed the, the stumps and created a larger new basin uh, in front of the community center. And they're using the funds that they raised to plant some large stature replacement cherry trees. And if there's... Uh, leftover funds from that, they, they're going to do some decorative brickwork and also replant some other vacant tree sites nearby. So uh, that was a, a good public-private partnership. Great, that's awesome to hear about. Thank you, Nick. Um, our next question is from Neil Bernardo who asks, uh, can residents hire private contractors to trim the trees on their street? Or is it something that strictly the Bureau of Urban Forestry handles? I can do right. that. Okay. Or, Carla, you first. <laughs> Your turn. Um, 
Yes, the short answer is yes, but we do want them to work with us because we, um, as, as you saw in Nick's slides, we're trying to be very systematic about pruning across the city. And so we don't want to send a contractor out to prune if a property owner has just pruned their tree. So um, they are required to stick within the city's pruning standards um, and make sure that they prune the tree correctly. Um, and we have a, if they, if they want to be 100% responsible for the care of their tree, we actually have a formal program to opt out of the Street Tree SF. And then they're really on the hook to do it annually. Um, but we encourage them just email us at urbanforestry at sfdpw.org. And one of our urban forestry inspectors will meet with their, their arborist um, and make sure that we're all on the same page. And then we can give them authorization to prune. Perfect. Thank you, Carla. Um, we have time for a couple more questions. Um, this next one is for Dan. Um, and you talked a little bit about um, volunteers and as well as your staff. And um, we're wondering um, in normal non-COVID or pre-COVID times, um, what types of work did the uh, Friends of Urban Forests uh, volunteers typically help out with? Was it similar stuff that staff does or is it, or are they kind of focused on a different um, aspect of work? Well, actually it, it, pre-COVID times, we actually facilitate volunteers and homeowners to do nine, most of the work. Ah. So let's start with tree planting. So on a Saturday, we have, we train, intensively train anywhere. Right now we have about 30 or 40, what we call planning leaders that have to go through an eight to 10 week program. They have to go out and practice, et cetera. And they will go to a planting on a Saturday, the planning leaders, and we'll break up into separate groups. You know, we were planting about hundred trees at a pop uh, just before uh, COVID hit. So we'd have 10, maybe 10 groups going out. We'd have a planning leader in each group with maybe five volunteers. And that planning leader would go off and teach the, the volunteers and homeowners how to plant a tree and make sure it's done correctly. Now, the, we also have a bunch of uh, volunteers that do tree care because we would go out twice a week and do tree care. And then with the sidewalk garden, same thing would happen once a month, sometimes twice a month, we would have a, um, three-day program where we um, plant, um, take, uh, take out a, a sidewalk uh, concrete for the uh, sidewalk and mend the soil. And the third day, everyone would come together, homeowners and volunteers to plant. So in many ways, we would, and the great thing about what we did by doing that, you, you get people more involved and interested in the urban forest. And that is one of our strong sites. Last year, the last full year that we had pre-COVID, we had over a thousand volunteers. Wow. Hopefully we can get back to, if not exactly that number, hopefully we can get up to that again sometime soon. Keep my fingers crossed. Um, that is about all the time that we have for questions um, today. Thank you all for submitting them. Um, I'm going to pass it back to Carla to give our closing remarks. Thanks, Ben. Um, and thank you all for joining us for another exciting episode of Snapshots Live. We actually had more than 90 attendees today. And we hope you will join us again on the third Thursday next month. Thank you and happy Earth Day, everyone. <laughs>